bit of speculation in the UK today, Al, that maybe, just maybe, we could have a very quick election if Boris Johnson wins the Conservative Party leadership contest and ultimately becomes the Prime Minister. Do you see that as an upcoming risk? Uh, it's a distinct possibility um, when you consider the YouGov polls and how unpopular um, uh, Jeremy Corbyn is um, or how, how little popularity he has. Um, I, I guess um, the, the likes of Boris Johnson and his team would, would fancy their chances of putting him to the sword quickly. I think the bigger issue is um, that, that they, um, they would have to form some sort of uh, alliance uh, with a, another party, and that is far from clear who or what or how that would work. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that would throw, quite frankly, I think it would throw a lot, more, a lot more issues into the mix, and I think it would just be seen by the markets as another um, problem that would prevent any sort of progress being made in the, the October timeline that we, we think is currently in place. Another element the Bank of England needs to consider, not just the direction of travel of the Brexit negotiations, but also the economic data. We had inflation earlier on. Core CPI came in at 1.8%, in line with the median estimate, a little tick higher, up from 1.7% previously. Just how much wiggle room does the Bank of England have if it wants to move to insulate the UK from some of these headwinds? Uh, Not a huge amount. Um, I, I don't think, uh, as far as inflation is concerned, I think that was always one of our concerns in the background was that when it came to the UK, should Brexit fail to materialise in any sensible format, and we started to see either tariffs materialise or, quite frankly, the flow of business being delayed, stalled, that would undoubtedly find its way down to, to the retail arena uh, in inflationary um, format. Uh, and that would, would, would see the UK sitting itself quite separately from everybody else with inflationary pressures, um, potentially dictating to the Bank of England what they do and how they do it. Um, I still see that as a potential risk for the, for the UK. I don't think that's um, diminished any. Um, and, and I don't think the UK, um, uh, Bank of England, um, rather, have have particularly ample tools in order to tackle that. Well, Al, what's your read on the current monetary policy stance over at the Bank of England anyway? Governor Carney seems to have taken a turn, in the minds of many people, a bit of an inflection point for the governor, who was not exactly ruling out further rate hikes. And now I think perception shifted over the last couple of weeks. Has your perception of the Bank of England's next move shifted as well? I, I don't know that it necessarily has. I think that... <laughs> I don't think that he's in a position, quite frankly, that he should be looking to do anything right here and now. Um, and, and as much as you, you know, being a central banker, you want to try and get ahead of the curve and steer the direction uh, that the economy goes. I just think that, that there is such a binary um, result as to what's going to materialize come October time, that making a, a, a move, a preemptive move now ahead of then is, is, is a risk too, too much to take. Retail sales out tomorrow. Do we get a cricket-related boost? <laughs> well, I, I, I think um, there'll, there'll certainly be some sort of boost to, in, the, in the city of London. How, how broadly that, that transpires to the rest of the UK, I'm somewhat sceptical. Um, but, uh, you know, a feel-good factor. as you know, Global champions in any sport is, is something to be, uh, to be revered. 
and celebrated, certainly. But I don't know that we're going to see too much of a boost on the back of it. Alice McCaig sticking with us from Fernwell. Next up on the programme, a meeting of G7 finance ministers over in France today, just in the northeast from Paris, Chantilly. Fascinating conversation about France's push for a digital tax and some pushback from the United States and the Treasury Secretary, Stephen Mnuchin. Of course, that digital tax would be hitting pretty much exclusively some big US tech firms. We'll discuss that next on the programme with Alison McCaig. I'm Jonathan Ferro. Guy Johnson will be back with us next week. You are listening to The Cable. This is Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable live across the capital on DAP Digital Radio. You are listening to Bloomberg Radio. The FTSE softer at the close by 0.55%. The S&P 500 negative as we cross through the halfway point of the trading session down around about a quarter of 1%. Over in France, a French-US clash over digital taxation has overshadowed the start of the G7 finance chiefs meeting as the French refused to flinch on its levy that would hit tech giants from Facebook to Alphabet's Google. The ultimate problem is where these tech firms book their profits and where they source their revenues. And the governments across Europe have found it very difficult to capture some of those profits for their own coffers. So ultimately, if you can't get it on the bottom line, these governments would like to find out how to get it on the top line and tax the revenues instead. A controversial push that is meeting some pushback from the US side who think this is about punishing American firms and they are looking to retaliate if the French push through. The French, well they hope their drive will pressure the US to actually be more constructive at the OECD and to agree on a similar levy on profits themselves in 129 countries. Alistair McCaig joins us now, Director of Investment Management at Fern Wealth. Ali, your thoughts on this, just from the political perspective, and then we can get into what it could mean or might not mean for some of these tech firms. Um, well, look, uh, tax revenues are always at the forefront of political parties. Um, certainly that's a, a key part of, of, of their day-to-day business. Um, and, and I think the fact that we have seen, you know, retail consumption increasingly uh, go online and digital uh, businesses uh, become increasingly powerful and, and important, shifting the, the way that they look at these companies, the, the, you know, the different sector that they have, and therefore creating a, a different taxation system that more, more, more fully incorporates their business models, um, was always going to be in the pipeline at some point in time. Um, I certainly understand why the French are keen to, to look at this and the EU more broadly, um, although one or two countries might be less uh, enthusiastic having a having a, a number of uh, major car companies have their offices there. Um, and I understand why the U.S. are possibly reluctant to go down this road, but I think it's one of these sort of painful, uh, growing pains that um, as, as the uh, you know, business models change, this is going to have to change with it. There was a report in the Spanish newspaper El Mundo that the U.S. State Department has sent letters to embassies in several countries, including Spain, and essentially out ordering them to alert governments that retaliate retaliation will actually follow if they go down the same path as France. Al, it just sort of sets us up for Europe versus the United States again. And I think a lot of people have parked the idea of a trade conflict on the horizon in the back of their minds. Is it something we need to bring to the forefront once more? Um, I guess it's, it's, it's grabbing headlines because the French have, have got the, the, the chair, as it were, and they're being able to push their agenda. Uh, and they see this as a particularly important point. Um, 
so right here, right now, today, we're, we're focusing on it quite, quite strenuously. I think uh, that we, we still have the perception that if America tries to take on Europe in a trade war, that there will be, uh, it'll be played out differently to the way that America has gone about trying to uh, tackle China. In what way? I think the, the, well, I, I think the European economy and the market is, is larger. I think that they, they have the ability to, to strike back in, in, um, in punitive taxes in a more direct fashion than the Americans, and specifically politically speaking, uh, that the Trump administration will feel painful. Um, and I don't think they, they'll hesitate to do that. Alison McCaig of Fernwealth will be sticking with us next up on the programme. We'll continue to talk about the trade debate back on the horizon, weighing on equities across Europe today and pulling down the S&P 500 yesterday. And just a little bit today, the concerns are back in people's minds after parking them after the trade truce. The key question, really, just how fragile is that trade truce between the United States and China? We saw the trade numbers in the last week, terrible trade numbers. If you're looking at the imports for China from the United States, down more than 30 percent year on year. And the president complaining that the agricultural imports have not restarted in China Are we starting to see some cracks in that truce? We'll talk about it next, right here on Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable, live across the capital on DAB Digital Radio. You are listening to Bloomberg Radio. Let's get you some price action, shall we? The FTSE 100 lower at the close by a half of 1%, a little more than that, negative 0.55%. The DAX softer by about three quarters of 1%. In the United States, we pulled back. A little bit further from an all-time high, a couple of days of losses through this week so far. The S&P 500 negative a third of 1%. The Nasdaq down a tenth of 1%. We've had some of the big banks report with no real drama in the United States on Wall Street. The concern, if there is one, that ties all of these names together, the common thread, the outlook for net interest income, the money made on loans versus the money paid on deposits, and the outlook for that is weighed on by lower rates or the prospect of lower rates from the Federal Reserve. So that's been a key topic of conversation for the financials. Netflix will be reporting after the closing bell here in the United States today. So the tech earnings get underway as well. So an extra dynamic and extra element to think about as earnings season begins. But something we thought we could park for a while, maybe some of us did, was the trade story, a trade truce a couple of weekends ago in Osaka, Japan. The presidents of China and the United States sitting down clearing things up, it seems, and hopefully re-engaging for talks. And certainly that was the impression we've been given over the last week or so as officials like Mr. Lighthizer, Ambassador Lighthizer and Secretary Mnuchin re-engage with Chinese officials. They are set to talk again this week. There were hopes they might meet in Beijing in the coming weeks. Then the President of the United States voiced his displeasure that the Chinese had not restarted buying agricultural commodities from the United States, perhaps in the quantities that he was looking for them to do. This was largely echoed in the recent trade report from the Chinese with imports from the United States into China down by around about 30-odd percent year over year. You got the feeling at that point, as the president tweeted about those imports, agricultural imports or lack thereof, that maybe this truce was a little bit fragile. Are some cracks appearing? And do we need to pay closer attention once again to the prospect of this truce breaking down just as talks restart. Alistair McKay to weigh in now, Director of Investment Management at Fernwealth. Al, your thoughts on that? Um, well, I think with, with President Trump involved, the, they were always going to be um, prone to, to having some further bumps on that road, um, and, and fragile may well be the word to use. 
I think also markets are possibly becoming increasingly blasé about, you know, uh, problematic trade negotiations. They, they don't think, I don't think the markets are pricing in that, that we're going to see a quick, full, extensive resolution between these two parties. And I think as, as the longer this, this timeline takes, quite frankly, the, the, the more subdued the market reaction will be to, to, to these twists and turns in negotiations. I think in the background, the market's probably as much as anything else looking at the Chinese growth directly internally uh, and looking at the way that is diminishing um, and how little that really is being affected by these U.S. tariffs. Um, and I think that's probably as much as anything else get, getting the focus of the, the investment community. Some hope came back in the monthly figures from the Chinese. Just looking at domestic demand, we saw the contribution from consumption to GDP drop off in the first half from the first quarter. Al, but looking at retail sales, there was a big boost. Now, I know under the lid... When you lift the hood on that number, there's some concern that maybe that was driven by some one-off story in the auto sales part of the economy. But, Al, can we be encouraged by the monthly figures coming out of China recently? Um, I don't know that encourage is, is the word, but we certainly shouldn't be uh, worried. Um, I, I think that's more than my sort of line on this. I, you know, it's, it's an odd scenario where we're looking at Chinese growth that's uh, in Q2 of 6.2%, um, and, and most most economic regions on the planet would, would absolutely uh, kill to have that sort of performance. But it is nonetheless the lowest growth uh, levels in, in about 27 years. Um, so, uh, you know, that, that story of, of, of an economy cooling, it continues to, to bubble away in the background. I think that the, the U.S. trade negotiations, if nothing else, is, is actually part of, partially a distraction from what's really going on here. So you think we should focus on the internal dynamics. So let's talk about the internal dynamics and the remedy the Chinese currently have. Over the last year, incrementally, gradually, they've been adding stimulus, more tax cuts, more things focused on boosting consumption. It's been difficult to see how much traction that's actually making in the Chinese economy. What's your read of things, Al? Yeah, um, cutting red tape, um, re- reducing the, um, uh, the, the, the criteria for banks in order to lend, that sort of thing has been going on in the background. There's always a lagging effect between taking these actions and, and the market starting to reflect um, how successfully they've, they've been, been, quite frankly. And I don't think we, we're, we're getting a true reflection right here and now because, as I say, partially because the, it's being somewhat distorted by, by these U.S. trade negotiations. But I think in the next six months, throughout the, the rest of this balance of this year, the five months remaining, um, I think we'll, we will begin to get some tangible data on this, which will give us a real idea of, of how successful this is. Um, and I think what has been one of the key drivers, the housing market, and has been certainly slowing in infrastructure, has certainly been slowing. And these, it, it'll take time for that, that, um, that to, to pick up the pace again. Alison McKay there, Director of Investment Management at Fern Wealth. Great to catch up with you and get your thoughts on the global economy and on markets as well. Al, great to catch up with you. Next up on the programme, we'll bring you some highlights from some of our best interviews of the day here on Bloomberg Radio. A catch up with uh, several guests on the economy and on financial markets as well. From the city of New York, for the city of London, you are listening to The Cable. The price action today looking a little something like this with the FTSE down a half of 1%. The S&P 500 negative a third of 1%. 
1%. In the FX market, rather muted price action through much of the day. Then as the day grows older, the dollar grows a little weaker. The euro firmer and sterling with a bit of a turnaround. A 123 handle earlier today. At the moment, cable 124.42. From New York for London, you're listening to The Cable. This is Bloomberg Radio.